Hello and welcome to Future Curious from Nesta, the podcast that predicts the future by talking to those who are creating it. My name's Tiernan Duyeb and I'm delighted to be joining you as the host for Series 2 of Future Curious. I'm a comedian and writer and ever since I had the Usborne Book of the Future when I was six years old, showing pictures of the year 2000 having solar power, phone watches and interplanetary Olympics, I've been fascinated about researching just what the future holds. And that's what Nesta do. No, not the space javelin, but being at the centre of conversations about what happens next and how to mould it for the benefit of everyone. In today's episode, we're talking about building your survival kit for the future. Yeah, survival kit does sound a little bit sinister, doesn't it? When you imagine the future, what do you see? Flying cars, people in spacesuits and hover boots eating powdered cheese toasties from orange packets? Or perhaps you go for the more dystopian look and you imagine a scorched planet with you gathered round a campfire desperately trying to work out how to make an iPhone charger out of twigs. Well, whatever it is, Nesta's here to help you to put a more positive spin on things. But first, we're going to allow ourselves to get a little bit selfish. Usually Nesta is all about how to change the world to make the future a better place for everyone, but how about changing you? I'm joined by Dr Steve Cross, who's putting together Nesta's big festival of the future, Future Fest, in March 2020, which we'll get to later. Steve's here to help us work out how to be better humans and build the future we want. Welcome Steve. Uh, future Fest is about survival. What is the survival kit for the future? Um... So we've we've chosen to talk about survival kits for the future because um, we don't believe there's going to be a terrible scorched earth dystopian future. But when you hear survival kit for the future, you think, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to learn how to build a fire and how to skin a deer. And what was the phrase I use? How to build an iPhone out of twigs. Um, we're not going to do any of that sort of thing. But this is about thinking whatever you think the future is going to be like, what are you going to need in that future? What kind of skills, what kinds of ideas, but also what kind of networks? I know partly here we're talking about thinking about yourself and it's tempting to think that sounds selfish, but actually it's really about what communities am I going to have to be part of and how am I going to build the communities that I want if those communities aren't there? So uh, can you give me an example of exactly what that means? How would uh, I go about, say, building a survival kit? What do we need and... and what would it involve? Yeah, so I think, like, if I imagine my survival kit for the future, there's a whole bunch of things in there, and some of them are people. There are people that I need to know to help the future that I want to exist happen. And then there's uh, ways of working with those people, so techniques for interacting with them and doing things together. It's no use 12 of you sitting around late at night talking about how to fix the world if none of you actually have a technique for fixing the world starting the next day and then some of it will be kit it'll be technology it'll be ways to speed that up because 12 people can have a lot more effect if they're working together effectively and if they've got technology to help them work together so my survival kit's a mixture of people and ideas and technology yeah we've got your uh, three areas that you've given us which you say are thrive creation and mobilization um so what do each one of those so mean? i've i've had a bunch of people thinking about um how you might compartmentalize the stuff that you're going to put into your survival kit and what are the areas that you're going to need to survive in so one of the big ones we've been thinking about is thriving and that's about your own medical health your own mental health but also environmental health how can we keep the world healthy to keep us in it and how can we keep our relationships healthy to support us the second thing we've been thinking a lot about is how we're going to create in the future because it's very easy to sit back and have the future handed to you you know this is what you'll be buying this is what you'll be doing but actually if you want the future that you want 
you have to be able to make that future. And that might be making things, it might be way, making new ways of interacting, it might be making culture. Once an AI can churn out a perfectly good Beethoven symphony knockoff once an hour, what the hell do people who write classical music for a living do? They've got to create in a new and different way. And the third thing I'm really interested in is this idea of mobilization. How do we work together and how do we share ideas? What does journalism look like once we change the entire world? And what does community work look like when the idea of community is shifted? So how would I start my survival kit? What, what do I start? need to do? Well, I think the first thing you could do is think, who do you want to spend your future with? And how are you going to make that happen? And what do you want to spend your future doing? And how can you make that happen? To start your survival kit for the future, you have to choose your future. Like we talk about the future a lot. One of the things I've learned here at Nesta is a professional never says the future. We say futures. There are many different ways of living going forwards. And a lot of us will be experiencing different futures at the same time. So you've got to decide, where do I want to be? Where do I want to go? Who are the people I want to be with? Um, which brings us very nicely to uh, our next little clip, Steve, which is uh, that one of the ideas that we're all going to need to understand better now and in the future is gender identity. Is it going to be relevant in future years? Generation Z already seems to be more comfortable with gender fluidity than the generations who've gone before. And if we start breaking down gender, what other systems might we decide to keep or maybe even leave behind? Glam Roo is a writer, performer and filmmaker. They spoke at Future Fest 2018 event. And here are their thoughts on gender, queer identity, and quantum physics. My name is Amru Al-Khadi, or Glamru, and I have an identity that you might categorise as intersectional. I'm British Iraqi, gay, non-binary, and also identify as Muslim. And reading about quantum physics has really helped me understand my queer identity. Quantum physics is a beautiful, strange and glorious sect of physics that looks at the subatomic particles that govern our world. So inside the neutrons, electrons and the protons, you're looking at the quarks, leptons, bosons and the Higgs. Whereas classical Newtonian physics is obsessed with the universal formula that govern our reality. It's so fixed on resolute answers. Quantum physics reveals that there is no fixed reality and it's full of beautiful contradictions. We can now observe that the same subatomic particle can be in many places at the same time. So if we fire an electron through a wall with two holes, for instance, we should be able to see that it goes through one or the other. But on a quantum level, when you observe what's going on, we see that the same particle is actually going through both holes at the same time multiple versions of the same event are happening all at the same time. What's so remarkable about quantum physics is the fact that what's happening on a subatomic level contradicts what we're actually seeing happening in reality. It shows us that reality is itself a construct and what's going on internally on a subatomic level belies what we're actually observing. Quantum physics to Newtonian physics is to me what queer theory is to heteronormativity, i.e. looking for normative constructs of society, male, female, of gender, of race, categorizing everything in a kind of neat, rigid way. I am very comforted by this as a queer person with no real fixed identity. It gives me immense hope that there's this model of the world, this real physical, philosophical model which shows us that reality is just a set of contradictions with no real 
fixed foundation. It is in this model of space-time as a series of entanglements that I'm able to piece together all the fragmented sex of my identity, being able to identify as British and Iraqi, as queer and Muslim, as someone of many genders and potentially no genders at all. Thanks to BBC Ideas for letting us use that audio recorded at FutureFest 2018. Um, Steve, reality is a construct discuss well um i think that's what philosophy has been telling us for the last hundred years it's really nice hearing it through a physics lens because i know so many scientists I, I come from a science background who are very stuck in the way they're taught science which is that there's always a right answer whatever you're given it must be one or zero it must be x or y it must be a or b and yet when you get to the edges of science whatever science it is, all of that falls apart. Biology becomes normal distributions and not discrete classes. Physics, as Glamoury was saying, becomes just an almost philosophical mess of waves and um, problems that not only depend on being observed. You know, it's not that observing something changes its state because it turns out it was always one or the other, but actually the thing has always been multiple things. It's really just absolutely incomprehensible and that's that's the thing i love is the deeper you go any ideas you have that there are single correct answers just collapse i really like the idea of being in many places at once uh, if not least because then i could pick my daughter up from the childminders and still be in bed the problem um, is though your daughter would be in many places at once so you drive her home from the childminders and she'd still be there <sighs> Ridiculous. It's very tricky. Very tricky. Um, thinking about how our world is going to change is what the Future Fest event is all about. And sharing our ideas is a very big part of that. Joining us is Marianne Pasha, who is curating a session at Future Fest called The Long Conversation, and Kajal Adedra, Executive Director at Change.org and author of Do Something Activism for Everyone. Hi, Mariam. Hi, Kajal. Thanks for joining us today. Mariam, as well as curating some speakers at FutureFest 2020, one of your roles is as director and curator of TEDx London. If people are inspired to create their own vision for the future, how can they then go on to share it? I mean, I think one of the great things that we see with the development of technology is that there are so few gatekeepers now. So actually, if you've got a vision for the future, there's so many ways and mediums that you can share it. So whether that is, you know, just doing a podcast, uh, starting an Instagram channel, doing a blog. I mean, you know, people have been blogging for decades now. It's so old school, and yet it it, it has uh, a way of reaching so many people. I think technology has helped more people share, and then there are platforms like TED and TEDx events that have increased the popularity of people being willing to sit and listen to others, being, you know, open to the idea that and making it fun and exciting and something that people look forward to this idea that you will sit in front of your computer at lunchtime where you might go spend a whole day at a TEDx event or you might go to Future Fest and be immersed in a world of ideas I think that that whole trend is actually really encouraging for the future. So now that there are less barriers to being able to share uh, your ideas what is what stops people from doing it? I mean, I think we all have some of those internal voices in our heads that just say, you know, this idea is not good enough, unique enough, original enough, or I'm not the right person, or I'm not smart enough, or whatever the little gremlins in your head are that stop you from putting something out there. I think half the battle isn't just like coming up with the idea, it's being able to communicate it in a compelling and effective way and feeling confident to do so. Um, that's what makes, you know, 
some of the speakers coming to Future Fest or some of the speakers I work with with TEDx, what I love doing with them is is helping them craft that narrative and helping quieten those voices. So, you know, people have heard about imposter syndrome, things like that can really, you know, stop you from feeling like you can share your ideas. And I think we we people have that those feelings at different points in their lives. Um, Kajal, you've helped lots of people create change in your work and you've talked about how someone's difference is your superpower. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I think, um, so just um, building on what Mariam just said, I think the other reason that you don't get people sharing um, their ideas or what their possible solutions to the society around them are is that power structures, you know, still exist in our society that put um, white, privileged males um, as uh, make them the gatekeepers and also create an idea that if you don't look like that and think like that and speak like that, you don't actually have the legitimacy to share your um, views and that your views aren't actually important. And so when I talk about your difference being your superpower, I basically mean that um, society kind of has told us this um, myth that um, if you know that you need to be a certain type of person, but actually, what creates incredible solutions and better ideas and, and more impact is the diversity of voices and diversity of lived experiences. Um, and so on change.org, we work with um, individuals, ordinary people who've gone through an experience and um, maybe their social housing is under threat and um, they want to speak out. And we really work with them to make sure that they don't feel that their, you know, their experience um, should set them back, but actually um, make them so much more powerful because that experience makes them a leader in that field. We actually see that when you do give people the tools to speak out, they're actually really, really incredible. Um, there's nothing like seeing a 15-year-old walk into a room with a government minister and just blow them away because... Um, they don't have the fear and the, they haven't had the, you know, the idea that they um, aren't good enough drummed into them quite yet. I think that should happen an awful lot more, as far as I'm concerned. A lot more 15-year-olds meeting government ministers, please. Um, how, to, how do you go about kind of empowering people to do that? Um, in your book, uh, you said that people should do something. So how do, how do they go about doing something? Yeah, I think it starts with, uh, first of all, um, knowing that your experience and your story is important. If you share those ideas, then we'll create better societies. It's basically, I mean, the, the, the reason I wrote the book was because I felt that there are all these tips and tricks that are um, common knowledge in campaigning um, sector and within unions and NGOs, but that we don't really tell ordinary people. And they're actually quite simple and easy. Um, and so... I talk about how to tell your story, how to mobilize people to support you. So um, how to run a really impactful petition and then what to do with those supporters. So how to um, lobby your um, the decision maker once you've got the petition going and how to speak to the media. It's the softer skills. It's about being collaborative, um, having the confidence to speak out and then also being imaginative and creative and engaging so that you're ideas are heard by the decision maker and the media you know that because that and really ultimately can help you win your campaign and mariam do you see the same thing with with the tedx london talks that are particularly successful particularly grab things and that is that the same skills that people use to grab attention yeah i mean i think it starts with having 
something you want to change, right? Or an idea worth spreading. And there has to be a foundation of something valuable and meaningful and important there. So you can't just start with nothing. So you've got an idea to share. You've got a change you want to see in the world. You don't just want to speak, if that makes sense. And then, yes, of course, being a great storyteller, speaking with confidence and charisma, you know, being fearless in a way, which I feel the younger you are, the more fearless you are, which is why we see these great young campaigners. And not being pushed back by some of these social structures those are those soft skills are going to be the most important things going forward once you've got uh something amazing you're either doing and you want to shout about or you want to change and uh Kajal and Maram, you're both working with quite a lot of campaigners and a lot of people that are speaking out what is the sort of hottest topic right now what are people most wanting to make change about I mean what's really interesting um to, to me is that you know when you look at um around you in society um a lot of the people, the decision makers are men. You know, in the FTSE 500, there's more people called John than there are women. Um, but when we, uh, we this year, we did an analysis of our um, of petitions on change.org and found that although men start more, um, women under 35 are winning more. So, I mean, that's definitely a trend, um, seeing, you know, more and more women and young people using the platform to create change. So that's a big one. And then I'd say... Um, Another um, quite big issue on our platform is around the environment. Um, over the last few years, we've seen so many young people, um, but also people, you know, like doctors, trying to um, change policies in their hospitals to make them more environmentally friendly. Um, and what I think is amazing about the environmental movement um, over the last year or so is that that change has been driven by people and not by government. And I think whatever future you want to see, you should really take it upon yourself to create that and to change that. And and it's possible because we're seeing it now with the environment. Yeah, I mean, I would just add one thing to that that I think is really interesting. When I'm working with speakers, everyone now has that social or societal perspective in their work in a way that I think maybe 10 years ago we wouldn't have. So, you know, I've been doing TEDx events for 10 years and I think there's been a real change, not just in the way speakers are, but also in the turn turn of the community and the the organisation overall. You know, you don't just get people coming and sharing like one cool piece of tech. You have, you know, uh, AI specialists coming and talking about algorithmic bias. You know, you don't have a business person just coming and talking about how to make loads of money. You have um, someone in business coming and talking about the punishment gap. So it's this everyone. It's this real intersection between people's fields and the fact that they want to make a better world. That is a trend that I'm seeing with speakers, and it's really exciting. That is very exciting. Um, and on that note of having a sort of idea about what it is that you want to change uh, and starting with that, um, Kajal, what would be in your personal survival kit for the future? I, in my survival kit for the future, I want more women in um, power and um, just more diversity because if we have the same old faces creating the tech and we, you know, we're seeing like changes happening at a rapid speed in technology, business and politics at the moment, but if we don't um, hold those, um, those kind of sectors to account and make sure that they work for all of us, we're just going to repeat the same old power structures and that won't work and that will only work for, you know, white privileged men. So I would say diverse voices and the skills to build communities because as we get more and more tech, 
I think, you know, we're at risk of becoming really individualistic. And so I think community is what living is all about. And Mariam, how about you? Oh, I want to I wanna live in, in Carol's survival kit <laughs> for the future. Um, so I, what would I add to my survival kit for the future? This is a really hard one. I think if I was to really boil it down to a basic thing, it would be it would have to include something around storytelling. You know, as everything becomes automated and, you know, there's lots of things that we're coming up against, I really think storytelling is going to be a skill that we need to survive the future and to tell better narratives and to replace old outdated stories with ones that make sense to us. And I think that when we feel in society that we're failing, it's because other people have told more compelling narratives and that's what's winning people's attention. Um, Steve, would you have storytelling more women in power in your survival kit too? Definitely. I mean, these are both things we've been thinking about a lot in terms of putting Future Fest together. Um, in terms of my survival kit, I want to have a sense of humour in there straight away because I feel that um, one of the reasons that we've all been thinking about the positive futures that we want is that the present is pretty unpleasant. So I think we're going to need to be able to tell jokes and feel jokes and enjoy things because sometimes otherwise the reality of the task that is ahead of us to get to any sort of future that is bearable is going to wear us right down. The other thing I want in my survival kit for the future, because I am a bit of a tech nerd, is I want tech, but I want tech that works for me rather than tech that is constantly noting down everything that I do and then selling it. I don't want any of that. I want tech to help me make the world better, not tech that is constantly undermining me every time I'm trying to make the world better by selling all that information to somebody who's only interested in making it worse. It's very fair. Very fair. Um, sorry, Kadja, were you going to say something then? Yeah, I was. I was, I was just wondering what, because we've got a, a campaign on our site, um, started actually by the Cambridge Analytica whistleblower, Brittany Kaiser, um, calling for um, the public to be able to own our own data. And I just wondered what Steve thought about that and whether um, you think that that could be a potential um, solution to that problem. Yeah. What do you think, Steve? I think that's a brilliant idea. Um, I would love that. I would love to know what the quid pro quo is at every single point. Because when I don't work here at Nesta, I'm a freelancer and I know what my time is worth. And I've got a rough idea of what my data is worth. But I want to be able to monetize that rather than have somebody else just siphoning it away. One thing I have discovered wandering around Nesta is that, in fact, some of my colleagues are really thinking all of these things through. They've got a project called Decode, thinking about whether we put people in charge of their own data can they use it for their own good or can they actually share it in order to benefit society more widely um all three of you are going to be at future fest 2020 um and so i thought we probably should mention it um what are you going to be doing at future fest mary uh so uh, as you mentioned earlier i am helping curate one of the stages um and it's gonna be called the long conversation which i am ridiculously excited about uh, but what it means is that I will be in that room for something like 11 hours straight. Um, I'll bring you, like, co coffee and biscuits and stuff. I don't think coffee's a good idea since I can't take bathroom breaks. But we'll I'll bring you a bucket. Yeah, okay, good. So that's what we'll... We'll, we'll design that high-tech solution for that room. But basically yeah. what the long conversation is, which the reason I'm so excited about it, is think of it as an epic relay race of discussions between really unexpected people all discussing what they would add to a survival kit for the future. So every speaker is both an interviewer and interviewee. That sounds brilliant. Epic Ted. Um, and uh, Kadja, what are you going to be doing at Future Fest 2020? 
Yeah, so I've got the um, absolute honour to be part of the um, idea that Mariam's um, um, working on. And thankfully, I don't have to be there for the entire conversation. So um, I'll be featuring, I guess, I think with another person. Amazing. And Steve, you are doing lots of things at Future Fest as you're organising it. So my, my job uh, in terms of FutureFest is to um, oversee the whole programme, make sure it makes sense, make sure that we are looking at enough different futures. Because lots of people go along to a, a festival with future in the name and what you get is an entire stage of men talking about different types of blockchain and 15 installations about virtual reality. And that's really one future and it's the boringest future. So part of my job is to look across and to bring in as many different voices, as many different ways of thinking, as many different types of future as possible and make sure we're reflecting those so that we're not just thinking, how are we monetizing data? But we're also thinking, how do we save the environment? How do we widen the number of people who get to have control over things? All those sorts of issues. And FutureFest is taking place on the 20th of March 2020. Uh, and you can get tickets on, they're on sale now at futurefest.org. Um, and it starts at 10 in the morning until 10 at night, where you're going to be there for the whole whole time, Mariam. Yeah, you'll find me in one of the rooms. At one of the rooms. <laughs> and that's at the Tobacco Dock in East London. Um, Steve, as well as FutureFest 2020, uh, which is obviously the main event, um, Nestor is also running FutureFest late. So what happens there? We've basically got too many ideas to fit into one day. So they are specific filling out throughout the year. And the idea of a Future Fest late is you get a miniature Future Fest experience. You get some experts talking about the future. You get a, a performance of something artistic or cultural that links up with our future themes. There are installations that you can interact with and be part of. There are drinks on sale so that you can enjoy it more if you're the sort of person who finds that drinks on sale improves your enjoyment of things. I'm very excited about the Future Fest late. I am going to be there, uh, hopefully taking part in some of the installations uh, and, and generally having fun, maybe even buying a drink. Who knows? Uh, Future Fest late. The next one is on at 24th of October 2019 at the Barbican in London. And again, Future Fest 2020, the main all day and into the evening extravaganza is happening on the 20th of March 2020 at Tobacco Dock in East London. Uh, you can save £10 on the adult ticket price if you use the code CURIOUS and tickets for both events are available at futurefest.org That's it for this week's Future Curious podcast from Nesta we'll be bringing more bold ideas to life and straight to your ears but in the meantime please let us know what you think and what you have in your survival kit for the future and why you never know it could end up in ours too our email is futurecurious at nesta.org.uk and you can follow us on Twitter at nesta underscore UK. Next week, we'll be putting you right in the middle of a robot swarm. But for now, I'm off to work out what to put in my survival kit, though I might just leave that phone charger in there for now. Bye. Bye.